let's have some meetings and talk about what you know what we should do. And so we, we we met up a few times with the two of them. Ideas were thrown around. Um, we didn't get very very far. A year or so later, I heard this new show called Bottom with. <laughs> oh, this sounds suspiciously like the show that we were. Um, oh right. to one for the podcast uh, this week we've got a special guest um, i've actually got two guests with me first of all it's old timer and friend simon marsh welcome si hiya thanks for having me on again it's quite all right in this little mini series of creek related discussions uh but also with us is the the man himself the man behind not only one for the grave and many other great shows but our other favorite show in jonathan creek it's david rimwick welcome david Hello, hello to you both. Hello, Tom. It's uh, it's great to have you on. It's your it's this appearance number four, I think, and I think you might be leading the way in in most appearances on the podcast. That's quite that's quite a uh, it's quite something. So I never thought I'd be saying that. Well, of course, I've lost count now. <laughs> it's great having you on, David. Uh, finally, getting to talk to you after a first attempt. Yes, yeah, so I'm not quite it, sure. We're we doing talking about <laughs> Greek on a on a one foot in the grave podcast but uh, <laughs> very happy always happy to ramble on yeah it's, it's it's for listeners back home we did try this a few weeks ago a bit of a mystery with the record could have done with jonathan creek himself to resolve it but mm. it didn't it didn't happen but here we are and it's so far so good but yeah you know jonathan creek's our other favorite program and simon here's the reason why i've become as obsessive over the years so you know si here is uh you know probably the the, the more hardcore creek fan the knowledge is, is there compared to me but i still love it yeah in varying degrees i'd say yeah not not massively <laughs> probably more than mine oh, I, I don't know about that. that's the thing that's the thing with uh fans of shows they they sort of they do probably obsess a bit more and and learn the show inside out don't they and come up with all sorts they sort of find easter egg things that might not be meant to have been there in uh various mm-hmm. episodes of things yeah. i don't know if you saw that mastermind um contestant who was answering questions on that was crazy tom sent me that <laughs> and the first few questions i was like yeah I, I, i've got some of these and then they just went uh yeah yeah well he answered some that i i was waiting well, I mean, if i'd sat around for you know 10 minutes i probably would have got them but he was really he was, oh yeah uh, what what episode was the windmill um named thing so i i don't remember yeah well i don't think it ever was uh verbally i think that would just have been on maybe on a shot of a document a letter you know not me really like that yeah um did i i well i've got even what we called it. i think we called it ripley mill because in reality it was shipley mill and i think maybe i just adjusted the name so but i say you know you need that you're always being asked by the props department oh can we have an address for this can we have a name yeah. or what just to put on um whatever you know uh, documents paperwork and um so i think that's where you know the eagle-eyed viewer would have spotted it wow that's amazing 
<laughs> so from the beginning then, uh, I believe Colombo was an influence for you to write this series. Was there any other underlying factors in wanting to write Jonathan Creeks? Obviously, you're well into the one from the grave process, but was there anything else that inspired you to write the show, Colombo aside? Well, Colombo was the, was yeah, I guess was the starting point. Um, as I've said before, discussions I had with Susie Belbin, um, who was producer, director on One Foot in the Grave, very often when we'd be sitting on location talking about what maybe we would uh, do next. Um, I mean, I grew up yeah, like a lot, a lot of people, you know, certainly in childhood with reading all the Sherlock Holmes stories. And that, but I was never, you know, never sort of a, a, a you know, overly avid um, detective fiction fan. I had done uh, a few Poirot adaptations just prior to One Foot in the Grave. Yeah, I mean, it, I think it was Andrew Marshall introduced me to um, the novels of John Dixon Carr, who uh, was famously um, uh, an exponent of the, the sort of the, the impossible crime genre between uh, the world wars back in the 30s. And um, so I'd read quite a few of those. I mean, and initially, the, I mean, the idea was obviously to do a detective series that incorporated very much the same kind of humor that we um you know we're known for with, with victor but just proper comedy rather than you know sort of being a bit tongue-in-cheek sort of avengers like so that was the, the starting point and, and originally i wasn't i didn't set out to to make it about a magician even or about impossible crimes that was something that just sort of happened almost sort of organically i think because i i it seems like a you know too much of a coincidence now but i but i think that first episode in fact <clears throat> wrestler's tomb didn't well as it turned out wasn't an impossible crime it looked as if it might be halfway through but then he kind of punctured that idea uh with his um with his little demonstration with the models and um and it was only after that uh, first episode that I really kind of kicked in with the, the lock room stuff. Yeah. But but yeah, I suppose the in brief answer to that was was John Dixon Carr and uh, and and a lot of the Father Brown stories are um, um, involve involve those kind of stories. So we sorry, sorry, I was just going to follow up to that. So therefore, were you pretty good yourself at watching detective show series and working out the mystery? Or uh, or not say, or was it just depending on your mindset? No, no I did. I, I did, didn't feel that there was. This was a particular skill it, enough that I it was that I was intrigued by the by the way clues um, you know, had consequences and the way that they you know kind of coalesced and you could you know plant certain uh, mystifying details that then would pay off later on in, mm. in in you know in the more unexpected way that they um were resolved the more you know fascinating it was Columbo, of course was a in, uh, had a particular uh, formula which was that the, the you know you, you knew who did it at the beginning and uh, yeah. um and it was uh, it was all about how how he Kind of deconstructed it and mailed them at the end, but that but that still relied upon certain clues. You thought, well, why is he interested in that particular detail? Um, mm -hmm. What's yeah. that going to lead us towards at the end? The best episodes, you know, were where where they where they you know made sense in in a in a way that you weren't predicting. It's it's very easy for the impossible crime stories just to be explained at the end in a very mechanical way. Um and that's very similar to the to the way that you know actual magic tricks and illusions can be explained. It's very often a big letdown just to mm. hear about all the you know the the mechanics of a, of a, of a trick um as 
Creek says in the Indian restaurant in that first episode. <laughs> yes, um, yes, yes, very sure. often, you know, you don't want to know. You don't want to know that Houdini just had that um, <laughs> hole in the floor with a mat over it. Something people thought that someone could walk through a brick wall. <laughs> and so that's, that's a sort of a trap that you could, you know, I've read a lot of uh, impossible crime short stories by other writers where, and indeed some of the John Dixon Carr ones fall into that as well, but um, where you think, yeah, okay, right, you've explained it all, <laughs> but I'm not feeling any great sense of uh, gratification, you know, from that, whereas, and, you know, I'm not saying I achieved it all the time, but, but that was that was the aim, was to try and come up with something. You thought, oh, Certainly did achieve it, I think. I was going to say, (laughs) certainly did a very good job. Definitely got, you know, made me satisfied. And I think a lot of people generally quite satisfied with with the outcome and how how, how they concluded as well. I think very well done. Very well done. Yeah, well, you know, I do... You know, just off the top of my head, if you get a moment like that uh, where Creek just suddenly says, I think he was killed by a harvest fly, and yeah. there's a way you think, and you know, unless you have worked it out, which you know, some people will have done, you think, wow, what does yeah. he mean by that? And that's, yeah. those are the sort of moments that are, you know, are, are the most successful to me. Absolutely. Um, just going back to the beginning of when you started, I know obviously Ver- Verity Lambert was produ- produced the early is it a couple of like the first couple of series. Is that right? She came from the Doctor Who background. Does she have much Im- impact in the in the earlier earlier series at all? Well, um, no, she didn't produce the first series. Of course, that was uh, right. Susie produced that, and um, Susie had health issues. It meant that she basically retired from work just at the end of our first series, and of course, right, did see. bump it in the grave as well as we know. And Chris Gernon came in, who indeed later directed some creeks. But there was another producer assigned initially to the second series, yeah. um, called Esther Charkham. Um, whose name you may also know because she ended up producing Endgame. Very experienced producer. And this is this was quite a sort of knotty issue at the time that um, Caroline wasn't terribly happy with um, right. joining the team. And it was to do, and I don't know the sort of rights and wrongs of all this. I'm just telling you the, mm. the, exactly what happened. Because she had some association with, and I don't know, again, how solid an association this was with uh, a former agent of Caroline's who I think had been involved in some financial mismanagement, which hadn't gone down very well with um, and Caroline. And that's that's all something on the public record, I think, because I think uh, you know, I think it all came to time. Anyway, what Esther's in, um, sort of linked to all this was, I'm not really, I was never entirely sure, but um, in order to keep the peace, I suppose, and just, just keep Caroline happy, Jeffrey Perkins, bless him, who was then uh, head of the uh, head of the department, decided that it would be better all round if we um, if we moved on and found another producer. So right. it was his suggestion to bring in Verity, who I had only met very briefly once at a I think a drunken BAFTA awards um, <laughs> uh, table. Of course, her reputation preceded her, and <laughs> she couldn't have been, you know, a more revered an experienced figure in the in the industry but not someone i felt very very optimistic about in the hey, really? in, in the early days well no because I, I you know i thought that she would probably come onto the show and represent everything that i was sort of averse to in you right. know that to, to, to use the popular word and lovedom you know yeah. you know ex-rodine <laughs> <laughs> pupil yeah. and, and from a completely different sort of background to well to Susie and to myself I was concerned that that sort of 
drama department mentality might be imposed upon you know our show which was kind of just sort of bowling along quite nicely at that point after the first series and so we it was it was a little bit tentative to begin with and and she told me right at the very end that she had seen that moment when we first met as uh, she came onto the show as a bit of a poison chalice from her point of view oh. uh, so i think she you know that she was apprehensive about how we would get on but however, you know, the rest is history. I mean, we did get on absolutely famously like a you know, house on fire in the end. And um, yeah. he was so, so supportive, so, uh, so on the wavelength in the end that, um, you know, it it seemed to be providence that, that she had. And of course, she went on to produce Love Soup, but we worked with her on that as well. Her role, Simon, in, in, you know, in, in terms of the, you know, the show, I don't, I wouldn't say she necessarily steered right. it in any particular direction. She, her, her great skill and her value was in just making it work. You know, making yeah. it work in the way that I wanted, and indeed she wanted, and and yeah. we all wanted. You know, and getting just all the you know the cogs to turn in the in the very very complex and difficult world of, of television and BBC yeah. television in particular, and fighting our corner. You know, I yeah. I thought after her sad, very sad demise, I. I described her as a sort of guardian angel, which, um, you know, I felt she was. Yeah, that's oh. good. That's good. Getting into uh, Jonathan Creek, the character, you, you previously said you likened some of your views and ways to our other favourite character, Victor Meldrew. Would you say the same for Jonathan himself? Yes, I think I, uh, I think all my pr- principal characters, yes, I did say that, um, which kind of stemmed from largely from my sort of take on things. I, you know, I always saw him as a, a sort of a, you know, kind of anti-hero. Um, you know, it was always the you know, James Stewart rather than John Wayne kind of figure. Um, that was very important to me. And um, again, as I've said many times, you know, we looked at a lot of different actors before we got to Alan, who we didn't really know as an actor at that point, um, you know, um, more as a, as a, as a standard comedian. And he was the first one who really, I suppose, just played it down, you know, played the whole thing down. It's the very antithesis of, you know, if you, th- if you think of what, Benedict Cumberbatch is as Sherlock. It's it's the absolute opposite of that. It's a sort of bizarro version. It's the, you know, um, someone who is not a smart ass and doesn't want yeah. to be, you know, just naturally isn't a smart ass and is almost embarrassed about his gifts. And I always felt that that was, that was the overriding sort of dimension to yeah. his sort of personality. That quite, it's quite key because Jonathan is not a detective, is he? That's the first point. No, so he's a consultant in the area area he works in. So everything else is just almost like a hobby to him. So I suppose Alan Davis yes. played that and in it, a such again, a natural way. Yeah, and and he 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 really achieved that. I mean, it's just that he has that facility very because in his you know in his own kind of personality. Was he very much like? Is he similar? I mean, I, I met him briefly, very like quickly once after. A, were you there, Tom? I can't remember now. No, I haven't seen him. Oh. Uh, Life, eh? I can't remember. Um, we yeah, I met him very briefly once. Is it? Is, is he? Is his character similar to like his, his own character similar to Jonathan? Like, Creek? like his is persona? Quite, yeah, persona. Would you say? Uh, I wouldn't. Yes, I mean he's no, he's I think a lot more confident than uh, yeah. than, than Creek is in his own skin, and um, we see them on QI. He, 
Well, well, quite, what you see on yeah, yeah, yeah. obviously is, you know, that's what Alan is. And if you yeah, know, to his right. football podcast, or you know, I mean, he, you know, he's a very ebullient, um, extravagant sort of uh, character in that respect. Yeah. And yet, when he is, you know, he professionally, he, you know, he can be very, very thoughtful, and he's very thoughtful, and um, and and considered, and and you know, soft spoken, and you know, if we, if you, if you, when he wants to be, is what I'm saying. I suppose there are the two sort of um, layers to, you know, to to how to what he is. I mean, on a show like QI, you know, that's you know, it's just, yeah. just there to just um, just to send everything up and be funny. But if you know if you're talking to him uh, off you know off camera about how best to you know develop a scene or how to play something or whatever, I mean it's you know very much like people like Rick and Aid Edmondson who you know played these absolutely wild characters oh, on screen, but but couldn't have been more serious and uh, you know yeah. laid back really when she when she started um, you know kind of analyzing the work. But I mean, that's, an, that's that's another sort of I suppose it might that what I was saying about how the character is is you know it's not um extroverted that way but is 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 kind of deceptive in his uh in his skills is again is that's that's mirroring Columbo as well. Yeah. Just the shambling onto set and people onto onto the murder scenes, people thinking that he's yeah, so on. how um, Jonathan Creek is, he's very sh- he's an introvert, quite shy. Was that the direction from yourself and Chris Gurn and, and other directors, or was that mostly Alan or a bit of both? Because I'm just trying to imagine, say, Nick Lindhurst playing Jonathan mm. Creek. I obviously can't imagine it, but obviously it could have happened. Was, was yeah. it just like different ideas, or did it just come from the director yeah. and yourself? No, no, it was it was pretty much inherent in the uh, in the material, I think. And, you know, we all of the characterization, I think, came from me. But characterization is a is a theoretical. And, you know, the, then that has to be transformed into the physical, which is where the actor um, comes in and gives it something that you, you know, can't begin to conceive. Some, you know, I've been so many of that, I guess. Keep, keep coming back to Colombo, but I mean the fact that that was first um, offered to Bing Crosby, um, you know, makes you you know kind of blows your mind now. You just yeah, think, actually, yeah. what what would Bing Crosby <laughs> have done with that? Well, of course, you know maybe the character would have remained the same characterization, but there's no way it could have been played anything like the way Peter Falk played it, and and the two are indistinguishable, certainly Victor and uh, Richard. So all of that is uh, is down to Alan, and uh, you know, and and it becomes a in a sort of symbiotic thing once once you've done a series together yeah. and obviously i'm feeding off the mm. you know the mannerisms and the, and the playing that um you know the actors have, have brought to it so yeah that was that, that that kind of um that sort of sort of low-key um performance was, was sort of defined in the first script really i didn't realize we haven't got a question we haven't had a question about rick mail tom i don't know if you want to ask david about that later on or something because we're both quite big bottom fans aren't we um, oh yeah, I see. Correct, Mao is just a, a legend in himself, anyway, isn't he? To be honest, yeah, um, it, it, more of a statement. So I wish he was in every episode of Jonathan Creek. Yeah, you can't have it all, can you? But um, I was going to ask David, do you do you still keep in contact with the like past cast members regularly? Like to this day, does Alan still contact you or uh, like any any of the uh, other actors at all? Um, I know. I I occasionally uh, exchange emails with Alan. Yeah, uh, I mean, he sent me a photo of his firstborn and <laughs> things like oh, that, really? and yeah. and the, and this ill-fated um, um, theatre. 
production, which was uh, stillborn in the end. But um, <clears throat> we had some exchanges over that. And, uh, but so, uh, it's, you know, we're uh, the, Caroline, no, I haven't, uh, haven't been in touch with Caroline since she left the show. I mean, that's very wow. often with, with, with most of the <laughs> actors and people you work with over the years. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting how, you know, that's not, to say that you oh god i don't want anything more to do with them it's just mm. it's just the way life evolves isn't it yeah um, it's like one one foot in the grave i mean yes i'm still in quite regular touch with richard and doreen who's um been you know there was uh, still made a point of just wanting to stay in touch and and owen from time to time um but Annette no Angus no I mean I've seen Angus a couple of times but so you know the same is true with um with everything really exchange Christmas yeah. with Tams and Greg and <laughs> that, that's they're from she's from that, Love Soup is that right yeah, so one yeah, of their series four episodes yeah but you mentioned mm. Angus I I try to get hold of Angus try to persuade him yeah, good not, luck. not giving up yet <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, when you mentioned Alan Davis sharing a photo of his firstborn, I was going to say, have you, if you got children, David, I think you... No, 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 we... Oh, uh, we, we I was can... going to say, is anyone in the family, distant relatives, uh, quite creative like yourself, writing or otherwise? Or Well, uh, not in... Uh, not blood relations, I wouldn't necessarily say. I mean, on Ellie's side, uh, we have a niece who's now gone into um, television production design, Amy Maguire, who... I'm, well, really, I kind of take some credit for that because we've sort of got her... A, job as a bit of a runner in the um in the design department on um the judas tree and okay. she was still at university at that point i mean phenomenally gifted artist um uh, you could we could see that very early on she uh, worked with uh richard drew he's been on this pod no I don't, I don't think so i'm no, sure he's worked with many projection design he's just obviously helped I think series yeah. four of one foot, I believe. Yeah. 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 Well, I know you copped up on the documentary, of course. Yeah. Um yeah. no, so she then went, no, I mean, when she did leave university, she decided that she would um, you know, have a go at you know television design. She um, and worked on deal or no deal. That's <laughs> the first thing. Yeah, but yeah. then she became designer on Inside Number Nine and Psychoville and a lot of stuff. And she's just, you know oh, I love Inside Number Nine. That is yeah. Oh, yeah. pretty good. Yeah, brilliant. So it's it, she's gone from strength to strength in that part. But I mean I can't, you know, I mean that there's no genetic link there of any kind. So yeah. but still an influence from from you. So uh, yeah, yeah. Well I don't you. You know, I take no credit for her skills, but I don't know whether she would have thought about you know and, and indeed I'm not even sure now that she how much she feels television is the you know is the best place to exploit her talents because it's i mean you know not a, not a place i would want to be working anymore but anyway so i was just going to mention because you, you just mentioned your wife briefly there but i, I did read because i got this jonathan creek this book that's by steve Clark, oh, yes. forwarded, forwarded by bob monkhouse um oh. yeah i mentioned it mentions in there that you, you your wife is it, am i correct in thinking maddie's character is somewhat based on on your on your wife is that right um, I can't remember that it wasn't so much. Uh, I mean, is that what it says in there? I, mean, I think I so. Yeah, I saw it. I saw it a few weeks ago having a having a read, and I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Oh, well, 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 there may have been some, there may have been some um, logic to that, which I can't quite. I mean, she was certain yeah. that that Tamsin's character in in Love Suit was was very very heavily. I mean, uh, drawn from from her because that was all our sort of um, setup. Anyway, we get um, drifting off. But I, okay. um, I, there, there may well be. I mean, I, yeah. I wouldn't say that. No, I mean, if you're kind of 
imagining um, Ellie as a sort of maddie character, <laughs> that would be quite a way off the mark, I think. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, when, yeah, I was going to say one of Maddie's traits, when, she, when she's nervous, she eats yeah. bananas there, so Ellie t- dipping bananas. Yeah, I don't know. They would probably all say that, yes. Yeah. So on the same on the same kind of sorry Tom just a quick number quote um on that same kind of like line you wrote the character for Caroline didn't you is that correct what yes that is, what yeah. what made what made you think she was the best for the role um well I mean I, I suppose uh, part of my thinking whenever I'm have been um trying to set up a new project was not only who would be great for this part and who is interesting but who could we get. And so, you know, if you try and aim your sights too high in terms of their, you know, current status and fame and, you know, all the rest of it, it's probably going to be a bit harder. Hence Mm. Richard, who had never played a, uh, you know, a lead at that point, you know, even that late in his career, who I'd worked with, of course, and, um, you know, was was wonderful. Caroline was clearly just one of those actresses who was just kind of coming through, you know. I mean, she had that sort of very solid role in Men Behaving Badly, which, you know, had was already, you know, bringing her to, to national attention mm. with very good reason. And you kind of felt, well, you know, she's someone to snap up. And she wasn't an obvious kind of female lead in the way that so many of them sort of tended to be around that time i wanted the char- that character to be flawed in different ways rather than just to be the traditional strong female who makes the man look stupid you know which had become already a cliche then yeah, yeah. um yeah, and um, you know i mean there's you can take that emancipation just sort of too far really i mean of course it was all very very valid um uh, up to a point but it's like everything else you get to you get to a stage where you think this is all becoming so predictable i'm not believed so so each of them could kind of had their strengths and their weaknesses and you know that's that's all sort of dovetailed together and i felt that caroline really had that you know sort of uh, quality about her and the, the ability to make that work um and you know it, with, happily she just jumped at it as you know as soon as we sent her the script so and she was turning other parts down. Um, wow, the time. so funny! Just Such a... waiting for the green light. You know, I think she was offered that part of um, uh, Rowan Atkinson's girlfriend in Thin Blue Line. <clears throat> you know, the stuff like that. That oh, yeah. um, I mm. think that Susie ended up paying her a retainer for a while just to keep her, you know, um, keep her warm. Right. Um, so was, well, we're trying to cast Creek. Yeah. So is that is that one reason why she left after series three, or was that just solely because she was because I think she was pregnant? Is that right? Am I wrong? I... Yes, it was to do with um, you know her personal life and yeah. um, uh, you know um, wanting to start this family and um, and uh, and all the rest of it. Yeah. Well, of course, she had given birth because she was pregnant when we were doing the the third series. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's an interesting, whole interesting topic in itself. <laughs> but, uh, right. I mean, there are scenes, there are scenes there with sort of wide shots where where you're seeing sort of you know dub, Maddie doubles. Um, oh, really? Was she was, was that far gone? Was she like that? Yeah, yeah. Well, I wow. think in the um, was it the, the three gamblers? Yeah. Um, when they're walking down to the um, Bog Hollow uh, uh, cottage, the, well, that was one that I particularly remember. I mean, there's that conversation about the witch doctor song that is obviously shot in close-ups, but um, oh, yeah. in the long shots, we had a double. And there's one scene, I can't remember if it's in that, and no, I don't think it's in uh, Gorgon's Wood, where, not Gorgon's Wood, um, 
uh, Ghost Forge, where um, the uh, character comes to her front door and sprays her with paint. I don't know if That's you right. remember this. Yeah. Thinks she's been having an affair with her husband. And there's one side of that. I can't remember which way it was. One side of that exchange, um, the shots are before she gave birth, and on the other side was afterwards. So it was about oh, blimey! So months. she was wow. She so she had she had her child while filming. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't, we had, I didn't, wow. To, we had to call a halt for one. I think we shot other things without her in, but uh, then she came back. So um, blimey! But I, I think there's, a, there's famously a moment in uh, in the, the Fortune Cookie, the, um, the the Billy Wilder film, where Walter Matthau has had a heart attack in the middle of shooting that, and I think there's there's something very similar that in one one shot he's about you know a stone or two stones heavier than he is <laughs> in the next. Anyway, I'm kind of yeah. digressing there, but right. so um, yeah, so I'm getting back to all of that. It was she. Um, I mean, I had um, got quite a way into that script of Satan's Chimney by that stage, and uh, yeah. <clears throat> um, know that unfortunately she wouldn't be available for it. Um, now. You know, we could have just scrapped the show, put it on ice, but I mean, the BBC were very keen to get that up and running as a Christmas special. And so we decided, um, you know, uh, the best thing probably would be to, you know, put a new character in and find a, you know, another actress to play that character. And you know, when we when we continued from then into the next uh, series, um, we we just stuck with Julia. I don't think there was any sort of great acrimony or anything about that. Um, I mean. Caroline, by that stage, of course, was such a successful actress in her yeah. own right and certainly wasn't short of work and doing various other series. And because Julia had worked so well, I felt, in uh, in that that episode, um, mm. you know, we continued down that road. Yeah, I'd always thought I thought quite early on that it had it could always it had the potential to be that have that sort of Avengers. Um, yeah, not in, not in style, as I said before, but in but but the fact that you could keep Steed and and uh, you know and bring in new um, sidekicks that we could. Yeah. David, do you have a personal favourite episode, Jonathan Creek? No, overall, overall changed. enjoyment, whether from a writing point of view and yeah, watching I think, it. I, I think I've, said, I've said before that I I was I, I felt those that particular episode and and the. Um, uh, Black Canary, um, the two those two Christmas episodes I thought were, were particularly strong ones. Black Canary is um, incredible, absolutely incredible. And, yeah, I mean, again, Rick in that one, you know, is uh, yeah. a major part of what makes that work. Um, but yeah, those two, I probably, you know, I've just for all the sort of you know traditional Gothic atmosphere and everything, mm. um, I thought were, were were very difficult to top. Really, it's it's the fact that you you were able to make it. You're able to get the vibe right with the gothicness and and the humour, and it just balances so so well. So there's just I think that's what makes the program work as well, really, right, really well. Um, yeah, um, I hope so. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting that um, you know I've said this before when they've uh, a few attempts to sort of cross the across the pond and uh, do some write some uh, some american scripts um the american writers were brought in to do that and they and they turned out they they, they turned out to be too tongue in cheek they didn't take the either the comedy seriously enough or or the the, the drama the the darkness seriously enough and i think you just had to go for broke in both directions really rather than just because if you you know, if you get to that stage where you've got Emma Peel tied up on a railway line, and you just sort of know, you know, at some point she's going to, you know, 
break the bonds or someone's going to you know, whatever there's no there's no threat there you know yeah. you need it to be real seriously dangerous seriously dark and macabre i think um you know when it, when it when it wants to be and just just let you know and there were those moments of course in one foot in the grave and you know we didn't compromise there either um that, that those dark moments were taken very very seriously and uh, it was the same approach i think are you aware, David, of any magicians of years gone by who've had a creative collaborator who've worked behind the scenes? Is that a common thing? I'm not. I'm completely ignorant to that. Well, I'm the most famous, of course, is with Ali Bongo, who was um, uh, worked uh, with uh, magicians as far back as David Nixon, who was a kind of boyhood hero of mine when I was in, in, interested in magic. I went to magic circle festivals as a child and. Um, at the now, <clears throat> um, no longer there, Scala Theatre, right up to Paul Daniels. And he worked with Paul Daniels. I think he did some work with David Copperfield. Um, and he, um, I had worked with him on a couple of other um, projects. Um, he did some, I don't know what he did. Oh, he, he did some bits and pieces on um, the Whoops Apocalypse film where we had a um, character who was posing as a, an illusionist played by michael richards and um, he helped us with that and um and he also made an appearance in hot metal in one episode because he did perform as well ali bongo as that was his stage name of course unsurprisingly as this sort of comic sort of arabian magician and indeed uh, um, helped us also assisted in i'm trying to remember exactly what what it, I mean, one I particularly remember on Creek was again in Black Canary with the scene early on where Francis Matthews is um, lying there with the psychic psychic surgeon supposedly digging into his abdomen to take out the entrails. You know, we were convinced that we'd have to build a sort of prosthetic torso to make that work, and Ali Bongo came in and said, "No, no, I can do that just with." Um, just with leisure de main, you know, with his hands. So the hands that you see in the close shots there of him just sort of contorting his knuckles into the flesh and making it look as if he's he's actually piercing um, Francis Matthews' stomach is actually Ali Bongo. That was that in answer to you. I, I imagine that there must have been, um, you know, people who came up with the ideas as well as the, you know, the, the magicians themselves. Um, going back through history, I mean, a lot of them were just incredibly creative themselves right back to Robert Houdin and all those you know yeah. the, in this, um, Vincent Wong wasn't it because I was watching um the Broken Reflection episode this morning and obviously yeah, he's played he works in the Chinese yeah. oh yeah yes it's, it's, it's nice seeing uh you know yeah. Cross Creek and one foot characters actors as well <clears throat> yeah, well, there are probably not so many. Maybe there are more now Chinese um, artists around to, to choose from. But um, yeah, I don't know if he's still with us, but it sounds yeah. very good. So uh, just going back to like the Black Canary and Clue of the Seventh Thumb with Rick Mel, what was it like working with him? Because obviously, I've here other actors. I think um, oh, is it Greg? Dave, is it Greg Davis who used to be in the Inbetweeners and yeah. Man Down? He he describes meeting Rick Mel. Like for the first time, and it was apparently it sounded just like chaotic and very funny. Is it was he was he kind mm. of like was he like that general generally like was Rick Mel Rick Mel in 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 real life like on set? Um, well, I said before um, there was that side to him that he was obviously um, uh, always prone to sort of going into 
going into character and being very funny and manic. Yeah. Um, but, but when he needed to be, he was very, very professional. I mean, I first worked with him and first met him uh, again on our television series, Whoops Apocalypse, when he had a small cameo role uh, in that and uh, and a larger role in the film version as an SAS commander. Mm-hmm. And over the years, Andrew Marshall and I were continually trying to um, set up um, projects with him. And so our paths crossed a lot. I mean, it, it, actually, I mean, you mentioned Bottom earlier, <laughs> earlier on, sorry, but it, we, uh, before Bottom actually emerged, um, Rick uh, came to us and said, Aid and I want to set up a new um, sitcom that's going to be, you know, blow all the others away, you know, in this t- typical sort of hyperbolic fashion. Yeah. Um, let's have some meetings and talk about what you know what we should do. And so we, we we met up a few times with the two of them. Uh, I think Andy's tour was around as well at that point. Ideas were thrown around. Um, we didn't get very very far. But um, a year or so later, I heard from I think it was Adam Tandy who, uh, that he was working on this new show called Bottom with <laughs> Oh, this sounds suspiciously like the show that we were um oh, right. so you yeah. kind of early. yeah it was we were in, I suppose, at the very very not even the ground floor but the sort of basement of of that yeah, yeah. of that of that project which you know they obviously in the end decided to go away and thankfully i don't think we would have been any use in it but um there was that there was a there was a movie we were going to do together again with andrew <laughs> oh wow so by the time we got to Black Canary, um, he had had his quad bike accident, of course, about yeah, a year before right. that. Mm. And it was the very first acting job that he'd done since then. So he was concerned about whether he would remember his lines. And so he made a point of, of um, trying to get all those to go in yeah. um, well in advance, as he did much later on in, in the other show. No, I mean, he was uh, just just very, very professional i think anyone that's worked with him would, would tell you that he's not an an undisciplined um uh performer at all right and um there was just an idea that i came up with when you know much later on what was it uh 2000 i think 2012 we made it didn't we we shot it and went out in 13 i think that's so right. that so you're talking you know you're talking um he passed away in 2014 spring summertime didn't he it was around now yeah beginning yeah. of June time it's, it? yeah it's been anniversary 14, isn't it 14 oh. years um yeah so quite a big time lapse between those two episodes and you know i mean that again it just stemmed from the idea that you've got pike back and he's now virtually immobile but still behaving <laughs> in the same sort of swashbuckling way you know as if he, yeah. he's only got his one finger um, just, yeah. and just of course <laughs> he really took to that um, wheelchair I mean he just absolutely loved the whole idea of careering around in that and <laughs> um, so he was you know he was um, very 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 positive influence on that um, on that episode I mean that I don't know if I ever told this story before but I mean there was a there was a moment um, when we uh, were shooting um, one of the scenes in um, Nigel Planer's study um, after he after he'd been um, murdered or presumably murdered, and um, with Sheridan and Rick, that was a set that we'd built in some sort of warehouse in Chertsey, 
but um, Rick had, I mean, he was suffering. I mean, as part of his, the, um, the, the um, result of that accident, he had epilepsy and had to take a lot of medication for that and didn't drink um, anymore. Um, still smoked like a chimney, but he hadn't, he didn't touch alcohol. Mm. And um, we, uh, I mean, I was directing by that stage and we, um, we you know, sort of called action and, um, Sheridan had the first line and then there was this great long pause and Rick just sat there didn't say anything didn't move a muscle I mean he was still just staring into the set I don't know people thought maybe dried or you know whatever it was and I just kind of realized something was was wrong um called cut and then we went around to went around from the monitor back into the room and you know tried to make you know contact with him and he was just impassive he just there was no response at all um, so we sort of got into hospital and yeah, I mean, in the end uh, that on that particular occasion, he's kind of came out of that, but <clears throat> he later said when we picked to re-picked up the scenes that he had no recollection of what happened there. My God, and, that's scary. Um, yeah, it was, it was a very, very scary moment. My mother suffered with epilepsy, but I mean, she had really very sort of blatant seizures in which yeah. it, you know, which was very distressing to me as a child, certainly. And, mm. um, um, but it was nothing like that. This was, uh, I think is turn pretty mal rather than the sort of full-blown where you just kind of zone out and you lose that you know basic consciousness but you're still sitting there wow. and um uh, so that was you know and it was uh what did what when did we say he eventually we lost him was it 2014 June, yeah. June. was it June 2014 it was, yeah what a loss yeah it was what a loss. about 18 months after that but um you know, because he was always sort of boasting about the fact that he'd come through this, you know, mm. dreadful, dreadful. The game was very, very rick. That it wasn't something he shied away from, you know. Because I think he, uh, I forgot, the, so he had some sort of set story about the fact it was at Easter. And, that's right. Um, I was about to say that. Yeah. Crap, good, crap, good Friday. Friday. crap Friday. Yeah. yeah. Crap Friday. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Um, but he had actually he'd made it through. Uh, yeah, so you know that was that 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 was him. I you know he was uh, you know dreadful joke. I mean, remember, I think I was out on the patio when um, Rosemary McGowan, our producer, rang and told me that. But I I hadn't I don't think I'd had any I hadn't been in touch with him since yeah. the show at that point. So that came as a real bolt from the blue. <clears throat> I haven't asked you for at least four minutes, David, but no no change of mind on the the creek. Uh, stage play then that's, def- that's a definite um, no well, well it's not I mean it's sort of it's sort of out of my hands I mean Alan at one but you said who've been in touch with Alan Alan at one stage suggested um, maybe we should try and get it on made on television but oh please I mean, agree yeah, absolutely <laughs> this is yeah, a, yeah, exclusive yeah, for the listeners yeah, <laughs> I know you both say that but yeah I mean I don't uh, you haven't read the the, the um, <laughs> I sent it to somebody. I think it was the guy who interviewed me for the. He um, sent me. He sent me the. Um, oh, no, he said, he read the, uh, the, the, the one for right. the grave one. Sorry, yeah, that's right. But I think if you'd read it, <clears throat> you would um, understand that um, that it was a plot that had some similarity because there were there were there was the plot involving twin magicians, female magicians, and um, it wasn't the same as um, as Black Canary. I mean, therein lies lay part of the twist, which are, you know, anyone that knew was familiar with Black Canary, I think, would have been led up the garden path um, because they were familiar with it. So, it, you know, in that sense, it was a strength. But you don't, you know, you wouldn't want to sort of put something on that you think, well, this has too many 
echoes of a particular show it would just be a confusing if you took it into the theater where you know there would be you're basically you know just saying well things are different here he wasn't married for instance in that yeah <clears throat> um we didn't address the fact that he was wasn't married you're just saying well you know it's a kind of it's a it's a sort of a parallel universe with creek in and and maddie of course had, had had come back so it would have worked and there were various other elements of the of the of the plot that i feel only would have worked in uh, in a theatre and were designed to work in a theatre. You have to respect, I think, the medium for which your work is originally designed. You know, you, yeah. you just sort of start going around with it and say, well, we've written this thing that uh, I think would be a great um, production in a theatre on stage. Let's do a television version of it. And, it's, and then it comes out, and think, yeah. But, you know, it was never meant to be on television. Yeah. It wasn't no, written it's not made it. for that, no. Same the other way around. Do, isn't he going to do um, Life of Brian on stage? Think, well, how will that work? But anyway, I'm sorry, I digress. No, sorry. I mean, you're, you, you said you retired from TV writing, but there's, there's obviously no chance of... Uh, again, that was probably that was your question, so si. What were you going to ask about? What was that? Sorry. Well, a possible reunion of sorts with Creek. Is that... Is well, that... No, just like, is it a definite no-no about any any new any new kind of episodes which yeah probably... yes yeah, so it's a it's all to do with age and and disillusionment <laughs> you know i mean i just you know these um i mean these chats about you know former glories are all you know well and good and you know <laughs> very very um enjoyable for me in the twilight of life but you know i feel i mean some people are just happy to kind of go you know um continuing with their work and um you know into into senility um yeah. and beyond um, but i i just sort of feel there comes a point where you sort of think well, actually i don't you know i mean i you know when i look at sort of comedy around i don't i'm not i don't necessarily um feel it's um uh, stylistically the same kind of comedy that i you know yeah. grew up with uh, yeah absolutely better or worse it's just things evolve you know and yeah. you have to kind of recognize what you are good at or were good at in a particular you know date and time and um let other people get on with it now so i think you know it's it's kind of best retained as a sort of in the kind of nostalgia category yeah. from my point of view and it's great i, 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 I somewhat agree but i would love love more i i, I love watching yes, old creeks but i would love to so always leave wanting more but you know never, yes, never you say see, never you know, you actually did it, you know, you'd probably mm. think, oh, well, this is a disappointment. Why didn't they leave it? I mean, look at the stick that Cleese got for just suggesting that he was going to bring back 40 Towers. You know, yeah, no, one, it hadn't, no one knew what he was going to do. Um, I mean, yeah. there's, there's obviously a feeling now that he's, um, you know, Mr. Grumpy and he you know, shouldn't be let <laughs> out anywhere near comedy. Um, but that's past a 40. He is grumpy. After, after, but I know, um, although after that, you know, hold the sunset, and then you think, well, you know, maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe now is the time to just rest on your laurels. I don't know, but but you know, he hadn't even written anything, and still, you got all these opinion pieces coming out and comments in the press and the media and social media saying, "Don't do it." No, this is the last thing we want. You know, mm. we loved the original. Let's leave it you know, as it was. Will you watch it with an open mind, or will you watch it at all, or? Not really decided. Would I? Yeah. yeah, I'm to be convinced that it's ever going to happen. Personally, it's like so many of these things that never actually come to anything. Oh, I would definitely watch it with an open mind. Yes, I mean, I, I, mean, I don't think. Uh, I, mean, 
John Cleese. There's no way he's ever going to be as funny as he was. No, I don't. Think he set the bar too high for himself, didn't he, in the seventies? So. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't a big fan of Fish Called Wonder. I felt that you know there were certain things that Cleese did. Because I mean, I you know grew up with Cleese, and I'm sorry, I'll read that again. And the Frost Report. Um, and so, but even by the time Python came around, he was a sort of comic hero to me. Yeah. Um, and then on Forty Towers, obviously, and and getting the chance to work with him on Books Apocalypse. But then gradually, I, I think you know, it's he's just just moved. He's just become more sort of ordinary, really. I mean, I it's I think <laughs> psychoanalysis probably didn't didn't help a great deal. But you never lose your respect for the man and what he has achieved. You know, it's just. Uh, I, I think it, it can be sort of dangerous to sort of you know to come back into a you know into an era that is not the era you you know were yeah. successful in and think that you've still can you know have a contribution to make that was as that's as strong as it was then. Um, I would rather. I mean, I've always this has been part of my I, my reticence over the years in in everything really. Um, it's like you know if they they asked me once if I would. Um, allow them to, to do a Victor and Margaret scene on the Royal Variety, you know, and you think, no, no, please don't do that. You know, something that works where you've got control of it in a studio set or on location and you're calling all the shots and you can control it all, you know, uh, and you've got the intimacy of that set. You suddenly stick on a stage at the London Palladium and you don't know what's going to happen. You know, exact same material, um, like the Mastermind yeah. sketch that I that did that at the Palladium. It was never as successful as it was in the studio. You know, you just have to understand why things work in particular context and uh, you, know, you have you know, total control of them. Well, we just need to stop there at the end of part one. It's going very well so far, I think, Si. Yep. But we'll um, be back again uh, next week, probably, unless I decide to re release it a few days before next week with part two. I uh, just want to give you your ears a, a break. But I'm very much enjoying things so far. Absolutely. Thank you very much for downloading. Uh, please get in touch via the usual channels. I'd love to hear what your thoughts are so far on part one. And I look forward to playing you part two next week. Cheers, Sai. Thanks, you. Cheers.